Welcome back to my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. Here we are for the fifth series. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience, engagement, performance, and loyalty. And that's a biggie at a time with budget cuts and the workforce feeling the pinch, including increasing pressure at work. We'll be unpicking how leaders show up and create the right culture for people to thrive. One that enables psychological safety, builds team cohesion, and nurtures mental well-being. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and a psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. I help deal with those challenges and questions that consume headspace. So whether that's knowing how best to support people, reduce overwhelm, or develop better ways of working, I'm your soundboard, problem unpicker, and guide to doing things differently that ultimately increase employee happiness and outcomes. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. So today we are talking sustainability mindset with Dr. Karen Cripps, who is Senior Lecturer in Leadership at Oxford Brookes University. And I'm delighted you can join me, Karen. Thank you so much for inviting me, Lisa. That's a pleasure. When I first heard about Prime, I was thinking it, it was what came to my mind was that unfathomable drink that kids seem to be obsessed <laughs> with in the supermarkets. And um, I was very, very pleased to hear it was not anything to do with those uh, drinks, but all about the principles for responsible management, uh, which is far more up my street. And when you started talking about it, I was like, actually, I just need to have this conversation with you on this podcast because so much of what you talked about really resonated with me and my approach to business. And um, I just thought, actually, people need to hear about what you have to say. So I would love, before we get into all the detail, Karen, I'd love to hear a bit more about what actually drove you to get into your role as um, in sort of senior uh, leadership, um, being a lecturer in that area, and particularly um, the, the aspect around Prime. Thank you. Well, the, the thoughts of those prime bottles, yeah, fills me with horror. I've got a few in my own home from my children, sadly. <laughs> uh, I hadn't made the connection previously, but I will always think of that now. <laughs> so I, I, when I began my studies a couple of decades ago, I was always very interested in sustainability and the impact of business. And so that's been the golden thread of my career, understanding what businesses are doing to, to manage their social environmental impact and the actions behaviors that they're taking uh, to to help address some of the problems of people and planet so that's been with me you know from the year dot and then when I began uh, took up a position in a business school some, some years ago I heard of PRIME, which stands for the Principles of Responsible Management Education, and it's an initiative by the United Nations, the United Nations Global Compact, which is a, a business uh, arm of the United Nations that sets out principles for business in the area of human rights, labour, environment, anti-corruption. And back in 2007, they set up an educational initiative, PRIME, to ensure that education uh, of future business leaders, what's happening in business and management schools all over the globe, is helping to ensure that those future business leaders, our students of today, our leaders of tomorrow, are going into business with their eyes open as to uh, what, what can be referred to as the triple bottom line, <clears throat> most simply, in terms of people, planet and profit. That I heard Chris Williams talking to, to you about on his podcast over B Corps. B Corps are obviously uh, you know, a, a brilliant uh, example of uh, business models that we will include when we're, when we're delivering business education to our students. And so it's a Essentially, a community of practice, there's over 800 global business schools that have signed up to the prime principles of education. I think over about 80 different countries, 120 of which are in the UK. So it's a great network of academics where we come together and we discuss uh, the most effective it's called pedagogy, the most effective educational um, 
tools and approaches we can use to, to help our students be ready for this new world of business and the kind of leadership that's needed, 21st century business leadership to address problems of business, human rights, peace, gender, climate, poverty, uh, so all aspects of uh, sustainability. And it also enables business engagement. You know, that's obviously a key part of it, especially at Oxford Brooks Business School, where experiential learning is at the heart of what we want to give to our students. So uh, it's an academic network and it's a network with which we engage wherever possible with uh, businesses. Mm. And I hadn't realised until I spoke to you and heard about this for the first time that there is such a thing and it's there are so many people involved, so many organisations involved. And actually, when you step back, it makes complete sense because I remember when I was, um, my first ever job was teaching and there was a real um, shift from just focusing on uh, actually just looking at academic subjects like maths and English and so on to actually we need to look at the whole child as a person going into the world of work and actually do they have the ability to, um, you know, do they have, uh, know how to be resilient and do they know how to have difficult conversations and are they able to problem solve and it's all the sort of soft skills um, and there was a real pushback actually from some head teachers around well that's not our job well, our job is just to get these levels and these grades and like but actually there's no point in having people being kind of going through this the mill of education and coming out and actually not being able to function as human beings in a world where we need to be able to get on with people and face the challenges that, that we come up against day in day out so it's I think there's a real I, I that's why it really resonates with me in terms of what you're talking about and the principles are so sound yes I mean that's very powerful that, that you say that and I you know I hope that primary school education has evolved since mm. that because because that's at the the root of some of our problems in leadership today where people are ill-equipped you know, and that's the whole problem that without inner strength, inner resilience, connection to, to values and understanding going beyond even our own sense of individual values, but particularly connecting to local communities and, and, and the whole global community in terms of what the world needs and how we can all play a part in that. You know, mm. That is essential to education from uh, primary school upwards. Absolutely. So what are, um, you talk about sustainability mindset, what are the key principles when we think about sustainability mindset? What do we, and what do we actually mean by that um, as a kind of concept? Yeah, so to give you the... Um, context around the sustainability mindset, which is it, it forms a particular working group of Prime. And the, the convener of, of this group is an amazing, inspirational lady called Isabel Rimanowski uh, from the US. And she carried out her, her PhD study some, some many years back into businesses uh, that were well engaged in sustainability practices and she wanted to understand what are the characteristics of those sustainability pioneers what are they doing within their business what are their aspects of the character that are, are driving them towards these behaviors what is it that sets them apart from all those leaders who are not addressing environmental and, and social challenges and so through this study of pioneers she, she came up with the sustainability mindset principles and these are they, they they're within four different categories there's 12 principles overall within four categories and they can be summarized simply as it's a way of thinking and being um, for sustainability it's going beyond factual knowledge it's nice to think of an iceberg and what you see on top of the water are the facts the knowledge you know we know all the facts around climate change for example and business leaders who are being tasked with needing to set net zero targets and they complete courses and understanding climate science but in terms of 
driving behavioral change, people need something much deeper. And, and that's that whole person learning that, that you were discussing in terms of your experiences with primary education. So the sustainability mindset is going beneath the iceberg to what is hidden, you know, not easily seen so much in terms of people's values and beliefs and finding ways in which to to trigger those, to trigger those insights for people so that they're able to make the connection between, or the, you know, this is the knowledge, the facts of the situation, but now I'm actually connecting to it on an emotional level. And because I've got that emotional connection, I actually want to do something about it. I want to act, to have a behavior change, whatever that might mean. So it's bringing in that frame of reference to both the learning environment to ensure that because learning in itself, as you said, can just be you know, very task based in terms of these are the learning outcomes. And as long as you write an assignment that shows your understanding of the sustainable development goals and what a sustainable business is, but that doesn't actually mean that when a student goes into the world of work, that they're going to ask those questions, push those boundaries, find projects that they can get involved with that's actually going to make a difference within companies. So developing that whole deeper sense of connection, insight, desire, passion uh, within students to actually see that they can make a difference is what's enabled through the sustainability mindset principles. Equally so, it's a, a tool that's used within coaching contexts also, so that business coaches are able to you know, sp speak to businesses about challenges that they're facing, for example, in how do I communicate sustainability to my customers or how do I engage staff on this journey? And by using the prism of the sustainability mindset principles, it just opens up you know, a new way of understanding the issues and just a new way of expressing the issues, uh, enabling those feelings to come out into, into conversations, come out into space and therefore grow and people bounce off each other. And obviously then the ideas come up and the new actions begin. So I, that's I, like that I like that bit about um, allowing the feelings to come out because so often people are too busy to create that space for the feelings and you know people's emotions to come to the surface or they just fear what might come up so it's mm. like I don't want to know about it I just want to say everyone get on with their job and we just need to keep a lid on it and it's only if the lid comes off in the form perhaps of a conflict or whatever that actually then escalates quite quickly because there's a lot bubbling away that is, we then have to deal with it but actually that's ability as part of a day-to-day -day process of just acknowledging how people are feeling and being able to ask questions or express their confusion or their whatever their feelings are. Actually, that is so, so healthy, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's enabling us, everybody, to, to see that other people feel the same with, with something such as sustainability, which of course has been described as a wicked problem. Wicked, it's wicked in terms of the impact that it can have on people's lives when you're thinking about climate change and uh, floods, droughts, etc. But also, but wicked, the wicked problem of sustainability is, is defined due to its complex nature that no one's got the answers. And so therefore it's only through shared solutions and open communication, which requires, you know, the concept that I know you talk about often in your podcasts around psychological safety, people, leaders need to feel safe to admit, you know, I, I don't have all, all the answers, you know, nobody has all the answers when it comes to complex problems of environment and uh, social complexity. Yeah, and I was having a, a great conversation with someone on the weekend, actually, about um, her role is, is responsibility for uh, equality and inclusion and she's had some very interesting conversations where people have been jumping up and down and um, expressing their concern about 
inappropriate language being used, inappropriate not being deliberately offensive, but just someone getting something wrong. And she's like, actually, this is the first time we've come, you know, we've experienced in our company this particular scenario. So people are going to get things wrong. People are going to say the wrong things or just don't have enough information about what's right or what's wrong or what could be offensive or not. And we just need to, to hear what people think and just reassure and just make sure that everyone's aware that we are all got the right interest, the best interest. We might just make mistakes along the way. And it's new territory. And I think when when people are, have the courage, particularly leaders have the courage to say, we don't know all the answers or I might have got this wrong or someone else didn't quite get something right. But actually, we any of us could have made that mistake. And let's look at you know how the impact that's had or how we can rethink that. It's just so powerful. And it's such a relief. You see people almost just breathe a sigh of relief that this hasn't got to be something we're tiptoeing around, but we can just go, oh, phew, now we can have a proper conversation about how, I, how I'm engaging with this. Yes. And, and it's essential to furthering the sustainability debate because you know, from an organisational perspective, there's the whole notion that I'm, you know, I know you discussed with uh, Nicola Weir with ESG in terms of greenwashing, where companies are making claims that are not reliable, but mm. equally so, and particularly for small and medium-sized enterprises, there's an issue of green hushing where there's so much fear around talking about sustainability credentials and perhaps you know saying the wrong thing and fear of not wanting to, to talk about it in case uh, something's found to, to, to not be credible, that actually it's holding companies back from shouting out and being bold and sharing, you know, the good practice that they're engaged in, which is, you know, a real shame because if we don't hear those good news stories, we can't learn and it doesn't build the momentum uh, for, for new people to be joining that journey. And it's also those those good news stories and hearing talk people talk about it authentically and about what's what's gone well, but actually what's not gone so well and being relatable. That helps build that intrinsic motivation so and and that's the you know that that need to or the understand that we want to do things differently because actually it feels right from within it's something i'm really motivated by it's something i'm passionate about rather than that is extrinsic in motivation about you know, i've got to do this to meet a target or something yes. which is where we've been so focused in the past which is why it's so refreshing that there are you know approaches such as prime which are really helping people engage in a way that is emotional because we know that emotion drives behavior. Facts don't change behavior. People can read something and go, oh gosh, that's bad, isn't it? And then half an hour later are engaging with whatever contributed to that fact in the first place because we, if we're not emotionally engaged, it, we don't change. And, and it, you know what you're saying about, we don't want people just to write assignments. We want people to go and ex show, demonstrate in the workplace that they can be different that's going to be more relevant than ever with AI, isn't it? Because anyone could turn out an assignment now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that as you said that, I was like, actually, we we need people to really engage with this from within so that we have confidence that people, when they go into the workplace, are leading from the right place from within them rather than this is, I've just ticked all the boxes to get here. Yeah, it, it's you're, going to make, you're making me think after with this podcast, I might just type something into... Uh, the AI to to see what it comes up with and to, and to ask it what are your values and beliefs in terms of uh, sustainability to see you know, <laughs> what, what's the emotional level that, that comes about but th this is talking about the, the the educational space so one example one application could be in career development so that you know students are under so much pressure in terms of you know the, the cost of living crisis and the, the expectations that are placed upon them in terms of their university degree with not only needing to complete the degree but to be engaging in voluntary work ideally being part of societies you know doing so much more than the degree itself and so there, there's a lot of pressure on young people to to be able to to do this on top of <laughs> You know, the societal um, pressures that we've all faced, etc. And so in inspiring them towards their, their future career path, that there might be some degree of 
fear in terms of, you know, this is what my parents expect me to do or want me to do. This is what society wants me to do. Uh, I must make sure that I earn so much money so that I can pay back student debt. And so you know, one of the aspects that I will bring in to, to my particular you know, small piece of the cake of career development training that students receive is uh, under the umbrella of career development for the sustainable development goals and helping students to identify their inner values, their passions, and to help them see that what, you know, what really motivates them, something you know, that they want to be doing in their lives actually gives them individual meaning. It's going to give them a successful career and every job can be linked to the sustainable development goals. So once they begin to appreciate what you know, we can all contribute in our job roles so that we're finding purpose and meaning, but we're also at the same time recognise that we're playing our part in the broader system of purpose and meaning. It, it makes life you know, much, much more meaningful than just being a slave to your job. I couldn't agree more. And it, I've just had a conversation with a client this morning um, who has been struggling with the whole idea of uh, going along a particular path in his career, which is about jumping through hoops, uh, the hoops that he needs to go through to get certain things on a CV to go down the next, you know, and, and it just keeps going and going and going. And today, when I saw him, I haven't seen him look so positive. He was kind of like radiating energy and positivity. And I was like, you know, what's happening is like, I've just decided I'm actually going to take a diff slightly different role, which is, I don't know what's going to happen beyond it. It's quite this, a lot of uncertainty in, in that respect. But he said, I just finally found what's right for me rather than doing what's expected of me by everyone else or by the kind of the greater system. And he said, you know, just that ability to be authentic and just to do something I know I can make a real difference and and I'm being recognized for it. And it was just ticking so many of his emotional needs in terms, and he was, you could just the motivation, the energy was there. And, and it's of course it's we then had the conversation. Well, if you're if you're demonstrating, people can see that that is where you can really thrive the more doors will open in that role, then you just slogging on through these hoops to get the credentials that you think you need to have to be able to do the next thing, the next thing. And you're not even sure that that's really the right direction for you anymore because it actually doesn't align with your values and what gives you that sense of meaning and purpose. But it took a little while for him really kind of working, working through it to go, actually, yeah, this is what I want to do if it aligns with me. And of course, and he, that role that he's going to be doing is going to make such a significant impact, will have such a significant impact for his company because it's all about how to do things better, but keeping, but with the people on board. So lots of change, but it's, he hasn't even properly started that role yet, um, officially. But um, when but he's already talking about the fact that he wants uh, to get support in terms of how to help the people understand why the change is necessary and the mm -hmm. benefits of it, rather than I'm telling you to do it like this because. And it goes back to that motivation. It goes back to understanding that that there are humans at the heart of all of this. And if we treat them and get the relationships right, if we treat them as humans rather than this is a process we just tick the boxes the the energy is different the connections are different the outcomes are different it's quite yes powerful. yeah I mean that that that's a a whole true story of, of transformation there which at the core of it is quite simple you know it, it's just finding that that time and space within ourselves to just really root in to who we are and what we want and in terms of the sustainability mindset principles that that broad area actually comes under spiritual intelligence you know it, it's tapping in to ancestral wisdom that's within us all our own intuitive wisdom but we actually need to slow down and find the the space and the time within us to ask those questions to let those feelings and responses arise and so you know, it's fantastic that the work that you're doing to, to help people in this space. And I hope you know, through 
my role within education you know that that's where I see myself uh, hoping that I'm playing a part also in helping students find their sweet spot really if you've heard of that whole concept of ikigai the the Japanese uh, concept of doing what you love what the world needs what you're good at you know and what you can be paid for and in what you've just described uh, from your client there he's He's found his own sweet spot and he's being recognised for it. And the the trigger effects of that, the influence, the ripples of influence that will go out because he's helping well-being at work and helping the well-being of others. So what they go on to do is incredible. It is. And actually, I use that term sweet spot with him. Um, But and I I think it's it's powerful. and, And I think what's for me really important to remember and it's really interesting hearing you say this Karen because you use the word we just need to and actually I was picked up on that recently by Gemma Ellison because I often say I just and she's like it's not just anything it's it's creating the space but actually asking yourself the questions about why you do what you do and how's that come about and actually just hearing people's stories um you know what is it that motivates them what is it that drives them where where what's their experience been like and how's that shaped who they are and how they are today and where they think they're going next? Yes, yeah. So for, from an organisational perspective that's providing that space, uh, certainly for outsiders to come in, but also from an internal cultural perspective, you know, it, it's requiring, and this is all part of Prime again in terms of uh, responsible management and leadership, enabling an environment in which people can ask questions. You know, I, I heard an, a, a brilliant term when I went to the Prime Annual Conference last week from an academic at the University of Brist- Bristol talk about purposeful dissatisfaction. You know, so creating a space within businesses where people can push, you know, kind of soft activism really, pushing those boundaries, asking uncomfortable questions in order to create you know those innovative solutions going back to the sustainability mindset uh that, that are helping uh to, to push business forward for people planet and profit and i really like that because that almost reframes for, or i potentially could be a reframe for some people around conflict so when we are dissatisfied with something is it okay to speak up um and a lot of people don't like to rock the boat do they it's like actually I'm not going to challenge the status quo I can see something could be done better or differently but I mustn't say anything because I'm not sure how I'm going to that's going to be received so to intentionally create a space where we can experience that sense of gentle mm-hmm. challenge and hearing different views and but you've got to have that safety to be able to do that because our you know our brain's only creative can only be creative when we're when we're our emotional arousal is low when we're not feeling stressed out and everything else and mm. it narrows down our focus so to be able to hear in the right way and and express in the right way is is you have to people have to be in the right headspace in terms of feeling quite calm and, and safe which comes back to that psychological safety so that's a great yeah. term purposeful action yeah and, and, it, and it's coming back to the, the power of education with aspects such as the sustainability mindset to ensure that leaders are in check of their ego in check of their their power and their fear to enable that space of psychological safety so that there's a, a a space in which people can speak up and something that you know strikes me particularly because one of my hobbies is collecting job advertisements, job role profiles for sustainability related careers in order to understand what are the skills and the competencies that businesses are looking for to ensure that that's feeding into our our curriculum that we're delivering within university and also to help the aspirations of students to begin to be able to track their career and the possibilities of the job roles that are out there. And so, you know, I've got a fantastic collection of all sorts of wonderful job titles that are very appealing around equality diversity sustainability etc um but but i've recently begun to to follow discussions particularly on linkedin where 
there's this great dissatisfaction of people working in those roles because actually, you know, they, 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 were, they were purposefully motivated to want to have such a job. And then when they're in business, they actually find that they're very constrained by what they can do. So therefore it becomes completely demoralizing and they become disengaged and you know, losing the whole sense of purpose, which is really depressing to uh-huh. hear. And so it kind of reinforces for me the importance of what we're doing in prime and within the classroom to, to keep this momentum up and to equip students with that knowledge, awareness, but resilience to be able to go in, push the boundaries, understand that there will be challenge, there will be conflict, will be there will be those uh, you know of different perspectives, but to you know, just keep pushing mm. forward. And, else, forward yeah. and also just hearing other people's perspectives and just creating that space where I haven't necessarily got the one right view on this. Actually, mm. I might need to be open-minded enough to hear and to shift my view and um, and so on. And, and again, that's for some people that comes harder <laughs> than yes. others. Um, but I, I thought that was a great example of actually when people are really keen about taking on a role in a company and then they get there and there's a real disconnect between what they thought their experience was going to be and then the reality. And it's so disheartening. I was having a conversation recently with someone who is besides herself with um dissatisfaction about her role because she was really really excited about making you know transforming quite a lot in her organization and her role is actually much smaller than that and I think it comes back to one of those problems that we have in lots of companies where they had they have an idea about who in which role is responsible for doing all this stuff around sustainability and um sort of looking at you know being creative and looking at how we do things differently in the future and so on and if you're not in one of those roles then you just don't get an opportunity to to say anything or do anything or shape anything so how do we help organizations think a little bit differently about it's not it shouldn't just be particular people and particular roles who have an input into this agenda but actually anyone across the organization regardless of how new or how young or how long you've been there if you're passionate about it, if as an individual you are emotionally connected and driven by this, then you should, you've got a part to play. Mm. Well, I, I think that one tool for that is writing job roles, very job role profiles, very skillfully so that you're attracting the right people towards the, the organization. So, you know, hinting at, all, all the the possibilities and the you know, obviously the organization needs to start by understanding its own values and to make sure that those values are articulated effectively within job profiles to make sure that the right people are being attracted that will contribute to that culture and perhaps cultural change if it's one in which you know, people are not able to to speak up and and be heard and to to make a difference. That is crazy because it's holding back organisational transformation. And and I think you know great practices I've seen in companies are where they have different whether you call them working groups or whatever interest groups that anyone from across the organisation can assign themselves to whichever particular group they're interested in and share ideas either learn. And they're going along just to learn or to share ideas or to be part of a movement towards improving an aspect of practice. And that's really powerful, I think, when you get a real mix of people from different sections of an organisation, from completely different backgrounds, but they're there for shared purpose. Um, And I think it just helps break down some of the boundaries or some of the expectations that it's just these people who do who lead on this stuff. You know, you've got to be here for a certain amount of time. You've got to be a manager. You've got to be a leader in order to shape the stuff. Actually, if everyone's given a voice, then everyone can shape. Yes. And, and if it, it doesn't require particular status or knowledge, it's down to a simple, it's an interest group. And, and anybody is eligible uh, to, to join this interest group. And from a model of organisational learning, there's that um, model in which you move from unconscious incompetence where 
you don't know what you don't know. And ultimately, you're trying to move towards unconscious competence where you're doing something without even thinking about it. And that's what should be coming about in job role profiles, open um, open engagement for the very broad and diverse nature of the challenges that businesses are facing going back to whether you want to use the sustainable development goals as a framework or, or the simple acronym of people, planet and profit. Mm. That is everybody's responsibility. Um, and that's something, again, when we're you know, talking about this with students in, in terms of career development for sustainability, it, it doesn't need to have sustainable in the title. In fact, for most people, it won't. Um, certainly for graduate level entry jobs, it's unlikely, but it's trying to embed and infuse within students that this is part of everybody's role. And there is a great opportunity from an instrumental perspective for, for students when they're going into the world of work to be able to open organisational eyes to, to this and, and to show you know, what they can contribute and what they can bring. And I love that because I think so many organisations, wrongly in my opinion, assume that because people are new in the door, they've got so much to learn from the organisation rather than actually, I want to hear from you. I want to learn from you. Imagine if when someone starts a new role, their manager turns around and says, I really, I'm looking forward to learning from you and hearing you know what how you're going to help me develop I was like that would just be so inspiring and so empowering and it just equals that balance in terms of we both have a lot to offer and I think that's it's it's just such a simple change in that kind of power hierarchy which often you know when people go to a new organization they they are trying to fulfill expectations that they think or feel are there and you know, actually just to have just almost a blank slate for everyone to be very open and honest and create that space that we are all going to learn from each other. Yeah, but that's a that's a very simple technique. I, I do love that. And it reminds me of the work of, well, talking about power, uh, Joanna Macy with Active Hope. And she, she introduces the, the concepts of power over, power with. And so you know, when you're talking about those going into an organisation, it can, if the culture is not right, I'm going to introduce a new term, I guess I'll call it power under, you know, because you're, you're feeling far too nervous of speaking out, speaking out. But if that culture is set up from the beginning where the manager says this to uh, the new starter, yeah, you are power with, you are helping me, we are taking this on together. It, it's simple. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but you know what it just feels really over, it, it can feel too complicated can't it and even when you know I was talking with Nicola about ESG or people talk about sustainability and immediately might start thinking about you know we, are we just talking about the planet or whatever people people have very different perspectives depending on their own experience um and I think when we just take everything back like strip it back to just make it as simple as possible what what do we need to ask people what do we need to say to people to enable them to ask the question what do you mean by sustainable or to ask mm-hmm. to share an opinion or it just creating that feeling of safety that people can ask query question challenge admit mistakes you know is that psychological safety but it really underpins people being able to shape practice in the best possible way because nothing's holding them back yeah it, and it, and it's absolutely linking into well-being and yes I'm glad you said that yes (laughs) coming coming back home that and the well-being shaping performance that if people are not living in alignment with their own values understanding what their own intentions are then all you know individuals are not fulfilling their potential but also you know organizations can be harsh places to work in terms of you know, performance pressures job insecurity people feeling exhausted I mean it's, it's a terrible picture that's being painted isn't it of leaders full of fear employees you know living in fear not able to speak up not able to to ask questions and so yeah to, to, to take it back to not only it's human connections it's all about you know 
relationships and feeling comfortable and feeling safe with each other and in terms of broadening it out in terms of responsible management and leadership to what what the what broader planetary needs we also need to be connected to and it, and it's seeing the interdependence uh, amongst ourselves in combination with our environment and, and helping everyone to tap into and be their best selves which if i'm thinking about you know, environmental impact for example it's as simple as go out and have a walk in nature have one of those meetings uh, walking um through the park so that you are benefiting from nature which is improving well-being and if you've got that connection to nature you're actually going to understand what we're talking about when we're saying you need to set net zero targets because you're going to have that connection and you, you care about it and you can appreciate what a blue sky is rather than a sky that's filled with smog I like that example I'm a real fan of walking and talking <laughs> but I think but it does it doesn't it, it connects you with so much more that is it, it widens your eyes back up rather than sitting at my desk looking at my screen and my my existence is all about this particular task I'm on or my next um, target, whatever it is. And actually just to take, take a step back and reevaluate what, what is this all about? Like, what is the point of all this? It goes back, taps back into that spiritual aspect that you were talking about earlier on. It's, it's reminding ourselves of the bigger picture rather than just zooming in on the tiny detail of the big picture that we have to be focusing on at that point. And I, and I love your, the, you know, you, you talk a lot about resilience um, and you, you've mentioned well-being and I think helping people connect that sense of aligning our existence with our own values and our own ability to feel good and then if we can if we're then working in a way that empowers other people to to feel good it's it's a, it's a win-win and I think norm part of that's got to be about normalizing the conversations around maybe our inner critic or mm. uh, our, you know our fear about change or whatever it might be and and just beginning to take the lid off some of these things that people put you know they they worry about imposter syndrome or whatever it might be it's like I can't admit to experiencing this particular emotion it's like well actually as soon as you have the courage to say that it everyone everyone else will often say mm, actually you know I've experienced that in the past or that's something that I, I know someone else has a real struggle with or it just removes that the kind of cloud that can you know through the lens in which we we see the world if all the time we're looking through it in terms of, i've got to keep all this stuff hidden it's mm. quite a noisy mindset to have yes yeah it's through relationships with others becoming self-aware and building those relationships with others because then that's creating the space uh to to share how we feel and to understand you know our common contribution so in understanding where we can make a difference to people, planet, profit, in order to help our organisations make that difference to people, planet, profit, it's people need to understand uh, on their own individual level how am I contributing, both in terms of positive impact and uh, not so positive impact, and that can quite often cause. Uh, dissonance cognitive dissonance between okay I really value this it is really important to me and it's actually in my job title to to be reporting on carbon etc but you know I'm, I'm flying on holiday and I drive a diesel car and I feel so guilty and so the imposter syndrome that, that comes in but then if we're all talking ourselves down and if our inner critic you know comes in so heavily there that just means that everyone's paralyzed so yeah by by sharing the the complexities of the VUCA world that we live in the volatile volatile uncertain complex ambiguous world that we live in uh it, it, a problem shared is a problem halved and also I think it it um that's excuses that I'm not sure that's the right word it kind of it allows it takes some of the pressure off leadership to have got all the answers to everything because it is so complex there is no 
it's not a case of here's the problem now we need to look at how to solve it it's like actually let's let's talk about this cognitive dissonance let's let's understand the reality for all of us and we're all trying to do our best but this is also what we're experiencing this is what we want to do and we're being we feel like we've been torn in different directions is that let's there's no easy answer to that but just hearing it, acknowledging it, validating it is is really, really powerful. And that all comes through the value of or the power of those relationships. And I think, again, some people or quite a number of people in organisations I work with confuse. They're not clear about what good relationships are really about. They say, oh, I've got good relationships. People know they can come and talk to me. And yet people don't. They don't speak up. And there's a I, again, there's I think, a disconnect between what people think is a good relationship and what a really good relationship is actually like which is not just saying oh, you can come and talk to me but for people to feel that they they want to and can speak up and there's quite a big disconnect there I think yes absolutely and that it will lead to an outcome you know it's so uh, it will lead to, to some kind of action um, so it's you know, a, a powerful uh, technique that is used within the sustainability mindset in terms of understanding another per- person's perspective is a simple, you know, how would you feel if you were walking in their shoes so that you can really absorb, you know, the, the life, the, the situation that others are in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and often, you know, wh- why would we, partic- you know, do we take the time to stop, reflect, slow down and actually ask those questions and if we did for you know the particular challenge that we're thinking about whether it's in our own individual lives or for organizational challenges yeah that that can be a powerful way to to bring about action yeah and I think for some people I know someone who struggles with that whole idea of standing in someone else's shoes they 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 struggle to get outside of their own uh, perspective and into someone else's space which is why they think that potentially that they're doing a great job of something but they can't hear they can't understand why why that's not the experience of others around them so for those individuals I'm saying well ask the people around you how it is to stand in their shoes if you can't imagine standing mm-hmm. ask just ask them and say what is it like or what is what helps and what gets in the way and help me help me understand so I'm you know I struggle to understand or I'm not quite getting it or you know just being quite honest and open about that and just saying just tell me and again that's being open to I want to develop I want to learn I want to understand better and not having to have all the answers and just assuming getting it all right clearly if people aren't uh aren't able to speak up something isn't going right doesn't matter how many times you say well I'm doing everything I should be doing and they're all getting wrong if it's not happening there is something it doesn't matter who it's not a blame it's a case of something is not working here that and to enable people to speak up and connect i'm just being curious mm. and curious as to how does someone feel so it's not necessarily a difficult question to answer although of course it can be uh, challenging yeah. for some people to to name and recognize emotions but i think that that's something that that can be learned yeah it can be nurtured and developed so even if uh, someone I always think from the perspective if I was giving you know this talking to students on this that empowering them with that agency to, to go into situations such as that and if somebody did respond with you know, I, I don't know how to express my emotions I, I don't know how I feel it still doesn't you know, it, it could still be powerfully transformational to that person that they go away and reflect later on this mm. and essentially within business there's a whole uh, concept within leadership that I'm very inspired by by a, a lady an author called Karen Blakely and she has written a book on leadership with love and she visualizes leadership with love as a tree and at the roots of that tree is the is the leader understanding you know their values becoming aware of the egotistical tendencies in terms of power over and once the the leader is rooted in 
their values and what's important to them. And then that's something that I quite often use in a guide as to my own life when I'm feeling torn in all sorts of directions and projects that I could be getting involved in or my inner critic. Why am I not you know, involved in that? Then I can bring it back to, you know, what are my roots? What are my values of what I truly believe? And then the trunk of the tree is practicing those values and being aware of, reflective of those values. And that I believe, you know, values can come through repetition. You know, if it doesn't come naturally to us, we can practice it. And indeed, organisations can practice it so that they walk their talk and that they are living their values. And then that, of course, leads to the flourishing tree where everyone is, they found their sweet spot, you know, they're living their best selves. They're not living in a model of power over, they're not digging their head in the sand. So, you know, the metaphor of a, of a tree and leading with love is, I think, what's needed for the world that we all want to live in. I like that. And I and um, there's a fantastic woman called uh, Gemma Ellison, who um, I we, we're doing some stuff together because, uh, again, we have a huge overlap in terms of our whole approach towards leadership. And she recently ran a session on um, leadership with care. I'm not sure if that's exactly what she called it, but it's essentially around leadership has to be focused around care, just genuine care. Um, and I think when we rethink leadership, and, and that's why I think I really was keen to get you here today, Karen, because, you know, being a, you know, working at the university and, and doing the, the work you do around leadership and so on, it's, it'd be very easy to think you're, you're kind of focusing on the, the very uh, traditional kind of harder aspects of what uh, management is around and what we traditionally think of as management and to hear you talking much more around care and love and um, psychological safety and well-being and the softer aspects of resilience and so on that's really really powerful and I think that's what's going to change and it'll take time but you know it's, it's for the next generations of leaders and, to come through but it, it's that's what's going to change how organizations are shaped what the culture is about how people feel when they're at work Yes, and we can also think that the adversity that young people have faced in terms of COVID, you know, obviously impacting their education, they've been subject to all sorts of strikes, they're, they're living through the, the cost of living crisis, the, the climate crisis, but all of this is going to, to make them stronger, more resilient and you know, more determined to, to lead responsibly and to to live a purposeful life and and career path so what would be your key takeaways Karen that you would like people who listen to this to go off and think about differently or talk to someone about differently or create space to just ref, you know reflect perhaps change an aspect of their practice I think that you've just summed it up in, in a nutshell in terms of making space headspace to 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 coin the, the phrase of finding that extra five or ten minutes you know in a day to to reflect on have you know if, if you if you, if a person hasn't really got to grips with what their values are what's most important to them well to first put that into process so lots of uh websites that, that can help a person understand or indeed coaches that can help a person understand uh, what's important to them in terms of values and then making the space for ourselves to remember our values to remember our bigger uh, our bigger picture you talked earlier about you know zooming out and that difference between if, if you're zoomed in that microscopic small granules that every small action we make the whole one percent principle you know, all adds up to us living our, our meaningful lives and if we are living in alignment with our own values and feeling our best then clearly that's going to feed into our organizational performance also i love that and i and i think um i mean that whole message about space is something that 
I'm always banging on about Karen. <laughs> because it's like, if we just did less, we'd end up doing more. And, and what we do would be much more meaningful. Um, we're too busy, I think, just focusing on, I was thinking of it as having like a spotlight on what we're trying to focus on a particular problem at the moment. And if we just open that up to be a broader searchlight, we'd see so many more opportunities and creative possibilities. And yeah, it's just a, it's a real, it's a something I'm very, very passionate about is kind of um, increasing that that lens. So what, what I wanted to finish with today is to ask you a blind question from uh, another guest, Thera Knight and Fit. And I think it's a really good question for you after what you, uh, based on what you talked about today. So his question is, when did you last spend time with colleagues outside of work in a personal capacity without focusing on work conversation and what impact that have on your working relationship? Well, that, that's an interesting question because that brings the whole boundaries of the hybrid working environments, doesn't it? So yeah. <laughs> I, I would uh, say that that happens you know, quite frequently. I'm, I'm very fortunate with both working in academia is, is a great environment to work in because you're able to follow up on your own interests and um areas that that you want to pursue you kind of set your own direction beyond the workload of um you know teaching capacity etc in terms of research interests so i enjoy many rich conversations on a almost daily basis with which i would call outside of of, of the workspace um and in particular i'm very fortunate at oxford brooks that my line manager Simon Smith you know I, I speak to a lot uh, and that is sometimes you know work focused conversations but more often than not we're talking about you know our mutual interests around uh, people planet profit issues really and so that there, there is there is no clear divide which you know, could be seen to, to not be healthy, but because I am living my purpose and I'm living my meaning and I am lucky to be engaged in research pursuits and teaching projects, etc., that I enjoy, then, you know, they, they intertwine and it just enriches um, the work environment and the work that I do because I have not always been so fortunate to work at a place such as Oxford Brooks and under such a line manager and you know it's I'm in a good space to be able to connect work and personal interests. And that's the best example I've heard Karen of that ability to really connect your personal life and your work life in terms of as one and really mesh them together in a way that works for you rather than trying to keep them distinct which actually if people are really focusing what they enjoy then does there need to be such a clear boundary around it so and that's that's a whole different topic of conversation yeah. we're not going to go down there today Karen thank you so much for joining me um I have really enjoyed this conversation we're going to put your um contact details uh LinkedIn and so on in the show notes so people can contact you um and we're going to put some references in there as well to to things that people can go and um, read up on or research a little bit more for themselves. But thank you once again for joining me today. So thank you, Lisa. It, it was a joy to talk to you. And that's a wrap for season five. Obviously, my thanks go to Karen for the conversation today, but also to the other amazing guests who have joined me. Theron discussed humanising capitalism to shape culture, a really philosophical conversation that made us think about the why and how we do things. Roy provided a legal perspective on putting human facts back into business. Rob addressed the really simple question, how are you today? And the relevance of that to the future of work. Gail provided a very frank observation of her leadership style in a changing and diverse world. And her words were, it was the most honest interview she's ever given. Graham shared his expertise about how to rethink customer experience. Nick joined me to discuss anxiety and a company's role in addressing that need. Lassie drew lessons from her own experience of challenges with mental health and about individual and organisational strategies and responsibility. Sonali talked to us about 
about Liberating Structures and the Emotions Deck, which are two really great resources and processes for helping us to understand what's really going on in an organisation and to engage people. John discussed organisational performance. And of course, Gemma and Dave helped me celebrate my 50th episode by looking at what's changed since my podcast began and where we're heading as humans at work. Who or what has inspired you? And I'd like to thank you for joining me. Be the first to hear about some of the exciting things I'm developing, including free downloadable resources by connecting with me on LinkedIn. If you ring the bell, then you'll get notified when I'm posting them. And why not sign up to stay in the loop using the link in the show notes? However you get in touch, please do so we can start the conversation and I can share some tips or offer your hand to create the best experience for your workforce and for you. And finally, please rate my podcast, particularly on Apple. It makes a real difference and I'd be extremely grateful. I'll be back in September for season six. So I look forward to catching up then. Thank you.